This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by LionShare with Dave Buring and his team. Here's audio content from LionShare and their track called The Holy Spirit, Obedience, and Transformation. Lord, we pray for Heather, and in the name of Jesus, we would ask, Lord, that you would give her the things, Lord, that you would have her say for these moments for these people. Thank you that she's well prepared. She's got her notes. But, Lord, if there's things that you want to take a left-hand turn on, we just pray that she would be sensitive to your leading and all that as well. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds that we might receive the imparting of the things of the Lord. That, Lord, there's a whole generation coming up behind us that if we don't get serious about it, it's going to be a big, huge swing and miss. Mm -hmm. So we're asking, Lord, that you would envision us and equip us this day to impact the next generation. In Jesus' name, amen. So Heather's Amen. Uh, Jesus said, go make disciples. It's what we've been talking about for the last 24 hours. Making disciples, that's the plan A. There is no plan B. It was Jesus' last command. Let's not make it our least concern. Go make disciples. But I want to draw special attention to the word make. He said, go make disciples. Now, I have a tendency in my ministry to like try to go find a disciple. You know, I need somebody to lead a small group, so let me go find a disciple. I need somebody to lead a mission trip, let me go find a disciple. I need somebody to, to teach kids, let me go find a disciple. But Jesus said, go make disciples. And what that tells me is it's really hard work. It, it takes emotional capacity and emotional intelligence and emotional fortitude. It means that we've got to schedule time on our calendar and create places around our tables It means that we've got to sacrifice time and energy and effort to make disciples. Now, when we send missionaries into uncharted territory, into unknown people groups, we understand that that's going to take time to learn how to incarnate the gospel into the culture and the language and the customs of the people. We realize that we're not wanting to convert a people to a culture, but convert people to a person, to a relationship. And I would submit that we have to do the same thing with the millennial generation. I mean, honestly, dealing with 20-somethings in some ways is a little bit like E3 evangelism. Uh, And for those of you that understand missiological terms, I mean, they are a different culture. And yet we see Paul following this example in Scripture. He says, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. To the weak, I'm going to be weak. When I'm ministering to the Jews, I'm going to like elevate my Jewishness. When I'm ministering to the Gentiles, I'm going to downplay that just a little bit. Not losing my identity, but trying to find common ground so that I can win people. This is why when Paul goes to Corinth, in Corinth, you had no influence or no voice in society if you didn't have a job. If you weren't contributing economically in some way. So in Corinth, Paul's a tent maker. In Athens, philosophers are elevated and esteemed and have influence. So in in Athens, Paul can walk right into the Areopagus as a philosopher and have attention and have influence. 
all things to all people. We need to do the same with the millennial generation. Are we willing to make that sacrifice of time and effort and maybe even method and personality and preference in order that we might win some in our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces? And I know what you're thinking, man, the dreaded millennials. Just don't get them, the 20-somethings. Um, let me just read what Time Magazine uh, wrote in an article. This is the opening article on an article about 20-somethings. They have trouble making decisions. They would rather hike in the Himalayas than climb a corporate ladder. They have few heroes, no anthems, no style to call their own. They crave entertainment, but their attention span is as short as one zap of a TV dial. They postpone marriage because they dread divorce. They sneer at Range Rovers, Rolexes, and red suspenders. What they hold dear, family life, local activism, national parks, penny loafers, and mountain bikes. They possess only a hazy sense of their own identity, but a monumental preoccupation with all the problems the preceding generation will leave for them to fix. This is the 20-something generation. How many of you know these 20-somethings? All right. Here's what's fascinating about this article. It was written in 1990. This is actually words about my generation, Generation X. So for those of you Gen Xers that are in here that were listening to this going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was about us. And, and, and I read that because I think we have to be really careful that we don't confuse a 20-something issue with a millennial issue. Some things are just common to every 20-something, no matter what culture or time period they live in. And then there are other things that are very peculiar and in particular to the millennial generation. There are things that make this new set of 20-somethings unique. For instance, it's the first generation that got a toy in their McDonald's bag every time they got one. It's the first generation that's been able to level up as soon as they mastered a certain set of skills on the video game. It's the first generation that has had instant connection and information right at their fingertips. Um, first generation that got a trophy just for participating. And so before we start throwing out words like entitled, selfish, shallow, and privileged, I think it's worth just stopping and realizing that they're really a creation of the culture that we've handed to them. We have nurtured and encouraged and developed and might I even say discipled them to be that way. And so I think for us to, uh, uh, I, what, I, what I want to start with is just give us a, an overview of the five generations that are living on earth today so that we can understand the millennials and what created them and how they got to be where they are. So you have some handouts because I'm going to go through some of this really quickly. Um, your first couple pages talk about four of the generations that are alive today, the key events that influenced their lives, made them who they were, uh, and then there's a table at the back. All of this information, or, or most of it, came out of a couple books. One is called Sticking Points, which I highly recommend. Another is Generation IY by Tim Elmore. And so let's just dive in and talk about the generations that are on planet Earth today. Uh, there's the traditionalists, the baby boomers, Generation X, uh, millennials, and then coming after millennials is Generation Z. And we don't know anything about them yet. It's, it's a total mystery. If you think millennials are a mystery, Generation Z is a, is a real mystery. So the first generation I want to talk about is the traditionalists. This is the greatest generation. This is the World War I, World War II, Great Depression generation. 
um, we look at them as uh, being awesome people to emulate. This is my grandparents' generation. These are the people that because they were united by a common cause through much of their formative years with a very tangible enemy that they could point to, and they're united in the trenches against that, it created a certain culture in that generation. This is the generation that's known for being cautious, for being thrifty, that's focused on saving for a better future down the road. Um, World War II caused them to sacrifice individualism for a common cause. Um, this was the rise of the radio. And so all of a sudden you had an, uh, the voice of an expert coming in to your living room every single night that the whole family huddled around and listened to. Um, this generation, again, that thrifty, that saving for the future. My grandmother, to her dying day, saved all of her tinfoil, her aluminum foil. I didn't understand why. It's because she came from a generation where you didn't throw that stuff away. You reused it. It's not because she was environmentally conscious. It's the way that she was raised. Um, it's also the reason, because they embrace the voice of the expert, it's why you have to go with your grandparents and your parents to the doctor, because they don't ask questions. It's not because they're not smart or they can't think of good questions. It's just the doctor is the expert, so whatever they say goes. This is the greatest generation. These are some of the, the, the social and political and historical events that shape them. And then after World War II, we see the rise of the baby boomers. And uh, this is a generation that was born between 1946 and 1964. Look, I haven't done a PowerPoint in years. So I don't even know what I'm doing up here. So we'll just skip over that. You got it in your notes anyway. So we've got the baby boomers. And um, this is the generation that comes right after that World War II. It's a season of great economic expansion. There's a lot of affluence. Um, this is the generation that um, Tinkerbell came on their televisions every Sunday night and, get, and spread pixie dust. It was magical. And out of that magical idea comes things like Woodstock. And then there's this idealism that is confronted with things like the Vietnam conflict, the Watergate scandal, civil rights movement. Um, and, uh, and, and this is a generation that because of the affluence that they were born into, moved away from the idea of sacrifice to um, a little bit more self-centeredness. It's the first generation that really had to compete in the, in the workforce to get a job, to get a promotion. Um, boomers grew up believing that the world was theirs for the taking as long as Russia didn't blow us up first. Um, it's the first generation that had marketing that was directed to teenagers. Um, they were uh, the first generation that had, that had television all growing up and seeing the same story um, all at the same time. Uh, and then after that, you have Generation X. And with Generation X, this is my generation. Uh, look, I, I keep forgetting to do these slides. Um, generation X. Um, this is the rise of MTV. It's the AIDS epidemic. It's the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's the Challenger explosion. I remember where I was watching the Challenger explosion. Um, in 1981, the Donkey Kong game came on the scene. And I think this is a little bit of a microcosm of Gen X. All of a sudden, the hero of the video game is not some good-looking person with magical superpowers, but a middle-aged construction worker having to hammer their way through life. And in the first iteration of the Donkey Kong game, Donkey Kong game he is hammering his way through life to save 
his girlfriend. In a subsequent iteration of the game, he is hammering his way through life to save his horde of bananas. This is Generation X and how they felt about how they had to muscle through life. Um, when you think about uh, this is the generation that saw missing children on milk cartons. It's the generation that went through multiple recessions. Uh, the previous generation was focused on uh, life uh, outside of work. Um, I'm sorry, this is the generation that focuses more on life outside of work. The, the boomers said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, you know, live to work. And Generation X is, I'm going to work to live. It's the, it's, the gener- it's the stuff outside of work that is most important to me. It's also the generation that got more and more information. We had a lot of information available to us. Not only did we have network television, we had cable television. And the more information you receive, the more skeptical you are likely to become. And also, we, so along with that, we see the rise of parody. So things like Saturday Night Live. We have so much information that we find ways to make fun of the information that we're receiving. And that's the generation between 1965 and 1980. The next generation is the millennials, 1981 to 2001. They're also called Generation Y. They're called Next Gen. They're called Net Gen. They grew up um, with the September 11 attacks. Um, uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, They had Y2K. Barack Obama becomes the first black president. These are the things that are the historical markers of their generation. Uh, Bob the Builder's theme song, Can We Fix It? Yes, We Can, is the mantra of the millennials. They can do it. They want a shot. They want to try. They want to be given an opportunity. Uh, This generation has had heavy parental involvement. The term helicopter parents came about because of this generation. This is the first generation that has had parents going to bat for their kids in really interesting ways, going with them to college interviews, going with them to job interviews. Helicopter parents. And I think some of it is a reaction to the Generation X who are latchkey kids. And so it's a new, they're like, well, I don't want to parent the same way that, that I receive. So now they've become overly involved. Um, and so, you know, that's maybe why there's a little bit of entitlement that creeps up with millennials. Um, millennials have never known anything but high security uh, in our airports after 9-11. I never had to walk through a metal detector to go to school. That thought would have never occurred to me. This generation, because of Columbine shootings and other things, that's the reality that they live in. Um, Technology. Uh, Boomers learned computers at work. Generation X learned computers at home and at school. Millennials have never had to learn it. It's an appendage. It's it's another part of their body. It's like a third eye that they have. I have a daughter who is 17. She is 17 months old. And I discovered my first selfie of her on my phone. I don't think it was intentional, but she's figured out the mechanics already to do that. It's just, it's another way of life. And so I want to talk, and then the other generation after Millennials Z, um, they're probably born sometime between 1995, 2000, and there's not been much research done on them yet. But it's it's those that kind of are in high school today and and younger. But I I talk about these four generations because I just want us to understand that there are certain historical events and and cultural movements that shape the generations. And so when we look at the millennials coming up, before we use these words like shallow and entitled and privileged and selfish, 
There are things in their world that have created them that way, for better or for worse. Um, Now, I'm squarely in Gen X, but most of my job, I'm dealing with millennials. Uh, Our church is about, I don't remember what the latest statistic is, but it's always been around like 60% single and 20-something. And so the stuff I deal with on a daily basis sometimes feels very foreign to me even though I I don't feel like I'm that much older than they are. But here are a couple of awareness points uh, for me. Um, I had a a millennial ask me about a a year ago, we were talking about how my niece watches Wally all the time. Like anytime I'm over her house, Wally is on. She watches Wally. And so this millennial then was talking about all the movies that she watched over and over and over as a kid. And she asked me, Heather, what movies did you watch over and over as a kid? And I had a hard time thinking. I was trying to remember what movies did I watch over and over as a kid. And then it occurred to me, I didn't have that opportunity. We got our first VHS when I was in middle school. So the movies I watched over and over as a kid was, you know, Wizard of Oz when it came on once a year. Sound of Music when it came on once a year. Every year I watched those. But millennials have had that at their instant access whenever they want it. That was an awareness for me of a divide between generations. Another one is uh, we, our church, if you know anything about our church, we meet uh, largely in rented facilities. We want to be a church in the middle of the marketplace. And so we meet in movie theaters. Uh, we believe that, this, that, the, um, that the movie theater screens are like modern-day stained glass where we can tell the stories of faith and moving pictures. We want to be in a place where people are already uh, coming in and out on a daily basis so we can take the church to where people actually are. And so we've always said that the movie theaters are a natural gathering place for people. And a few months ago, we were looking and thinking about places where we want to launch our next location. And this millennial that sometimes really gets on my nerves said, you know, movie theaters really aren't natural gathering places anymore. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, we don't go to movies. I was like, I go to movies all the time. She's like, no, I get them on Netflix. I'd much rather be able to watch a movie in my bed on Netflix. It doesn't cost me any money, and I don't have to get dressed. (laughs) So then I'm thinking, word, lazy millennial. Um, You can't even get dressed to go to a movie. Um, And and we had this moment where, I mean, I was listening to her because I'm like, well, I'm not a millennial, so I I don't know. But I wound up trying to convince her about why she should go to see certain movies in movie theaters. I'm like, look, there are certain movies that are such epic scale. You've got to see them on the big screen. And I felt like you are not appreciating good art. Um, But but anyway, like the, the marketplace is changing. The way that they relate to one another, the way they relate to entertainment is changing. That was, that was an awareness point for me. Um, the question, how did I do? How did I do? How did I do? How did I do? I'm like, I give you feedback every day on the exact same thing, and it's the exact same feedback. Um, but millennials are used to having instant access to their grades in school. I mean, I got mid, mid-quarter report card, you know, end-of-quarter report card. They, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they have them, and their parents have them online anytime they want. They're used to constant feedback. And along with constant feedback, they're used to leveling up. What's my prize? What's my prize? What's my prize? What's my prize? There's an element of entitlement. Um, and I think it largely comes from uh, the, the video game culture where once you master a certain set of skills, you get to level up. Instant reward, instant gain, instant prize. So when's my promotion? When do I get a raise? Those aren't necessarily entitlement questions because there's something wrong in their character. That's how we've trained them. Um, (laughs) This one was a, oh, this one drove me crazy too. Can we work on this together? 
I, I give a project, can we work on this together? I was used in Generation X that if we had a group project, we, divvy, we divide and conquer, right? You take this part, you take this part, you take this part. And then I would go in my cave and work on my stuff and then bring it back and we, we would talk about it and bring it all together. Now, they want to sit around the same table for hours and work on it together. I am right now, and this is even with, with message prep, uh, I'm writing curriculum right now and these millennials want to sit around a table with me and like write it together on the Google Doc. Like, this is not how I operate. But there's a tribal mentality. Um, recently, I read an article about someone who was asking a millennial in a job interview about their group projects that they had done in college. And the question was asked, who was the leader? Like, were you, what, what role did you usually take in the group? Were you the leader of the group or a participant? And, and the, the job candidate didn't know how to answer that because there was no category. They didn't have a leader. They just sit around the table and work on it together. There's a tribal mentality. And then this one's my favorite. I had a millennial once refer to email as snail mail. <laughs> they, they had heard this phrase, snail mail, and thought that was referring to email. <laughs> this is the generation we have. The technology that has been handed to them has allowed them instant access and information. And, and this isn't in my notes. This is an aside. But I was talking to a millennial the other day that's navigating some dating relationships. And I thought, I am so glad I am not dating in this generation because that conversation never ends. It, there's a con- texting is a constant conversation. And how many of you know, like, so much of communication comes in the tone of the voice, the posture of the body. And so, I, I mean, any relationships right now that are primarily communicating over text but dating relationships in particular i'm like and that is that is a tough world to navigate so those were just some awareness points for me i want to talk um briefly again and i know we'll get to the how to um we'll get to the how to to uh to disciple millennials in a minute but i feel like so much of understanding who they are is key to doing this well so uh one thing we've got to make sure we understand um and i'm in a safe place to do this but um I'm going to use some words to describe millennials. I've already used some. And what we have to understand is more than any other generation before it, they really, really hate labels. And they really, really hate boxes. And so the last thing I want to do is label. The last thing I want to do is stereotype. But for us to understand, we have to put some language around it. And what I'm going to do after I'm I'm done up here is I'm going to bring some millennials up and let them fact check me. And, and they are more than welcome to tell you all that what I said was wrong. And that, that, that requires a lot of humility and uh, courage all at the same time. But um, these are some observations I've made. This doesn't apply to every millennial. It's like, you know, there's, there, there are exceptions to these general statements. But um, millennials, I'm going to use labels, but it's also like it's a, they're a paradox, they live in this tension. They are both and culture. And so here's an example of that. They are both incredibly consumeristic and at the same time incredibly generous. They are willing to go lay down money for the latest gadget. I, millennials are always trying to get me to upgrade my phone. I'm like, it works just fine. It is functional. But because the gadget is part of the image and part of the style... That's important. They plunk down lots of money for gadgets, for clothes, for shoes. At the same time, they're incredibly generous. When I went on staff at National Community Church, one of the first questions my mom asked me uh, is, how are you going to make this work financially? 
She knew the demographic of our church. She's like, how are a bunch of 20-something Hill staffers going to be able to tithe enough to pay your salary? Um, They're incredibly generous. And what I've learned is that they give to big causes and homegrown causes. They want to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves. And they're willing to sacrifice to be generous in that area. Uh, Another paradox that we see they're non-committal, but they're also willing to make big commitments. Uh, here's an example. They're, if you're trying to schedule a weekly coffee with a millennial, <laughs> just be prepared to have lots of grace. But if you ask them to give a year of their life to go work with women who are on the streets in Thailand, they're gone. They're selling everything to leave it behind. So if you, if you raise the stakes and call them up to a higher level, they're going to be willing to commit to that. It's the day-to-day stuff that they sometimes struggle with. Um, another example of the paradox is they're, they are wary of authority but crave mentors. This is a generation that has seen every possible kind of leader fail morally. Government leaders, business leaders, athletes, movie stars, preachers, parents. They're wary of authority because they've seen the failure and they've been let down. The other reason they're wary of authority is they don't really recognize authority because everybody has a voice now. The age of the radio expert and the television expert is over. Anybody who has the ability to get on a computer and create a website, a blog, an Instagram, a Snapchat, a Twitter account... They are an expert. And so millennials just realize there, there are no experts, but at the same time, they crave parental figures. And I almost think that with millennials, it's less about that word mentoring and more about the word parenting. I had a millennial tell me one time, Heather, I, I feel so dumb sometimes because I know how smart I am and I know how sm- dumb I am at the same time. And this millennial said, I have the ability, and they weren't being, they weren't being prideful when they said this. This wasn't ego. This was, I knew their abilities. They said, I have the ability to shoot a video, to edit it, to composite it, to upload it to, to YouTube, and it could go viral in a matter of days. But I don't know how to change a flat tire. I don't know how to sew a button on a shirt. They want people to help them with the things of life. And I think sometimes we don't want to get into their world because we don't understand their world because they're going to be wanting to upgrade our phones and show us how we do things wrong. But at the same time, there are things that they don't know that we can pass on to them. Um, Another paradox, they are incredibly justice-oriented, but they're also compassion-fatigued. Every day there's a big cause put in front of them. You know, so they're going to they're gonna give up two weeks of their job, of their salary to go to Uganda to dig a well. But then they realize, wait, to keep that well clean, we've got to address some environmental issues. And to address those environmental issues, we're going to have to address some political and cultural and, and, and um, governmental issues. But to address those issues, we've got to address long-standing historical tribal issues. And it leads to fatigue. They want to make a difference, but then they're not sure where to begin to make that difference. Not only that, but tons of causes are thrown at them all the time. Women on the street in Thailand, people experiencing homelessness in Eastern Europe, um, girls that are needing education in the Middle East, kids in Africa that need um, people to love them and care for them. And then they come home and they find the exact same problems on their streets. 
in Washington, D.C., we, we deal with all of that all the time. And so there's a, there's a level of compassion fatigue. And the other thing that's interesting about millennials is they're a little bit conflicted in their convictions. I'll see millennials out at a march against, you know, um, child labor, which is worthy cause. But they're wearing clothing that was made by child labor. There's just, there's, there's just, there's a disconnect sometimes. Um, so they're justice oriented, they're compassion fatigued. Um, they, they want depth, but they also think in terms of sound bites. Uh, the best, uh, the best example of this that I can give is, um, I went with a millennial one time, she wanted to get a study Bible. And so I took her to the Lifeway store, and she couldn't decide what study Bible she wanted. So she's, wa- and, I mean, Megan's like this tall. And, and she comes up to me, and she's carrying the Life Application Study Bible, the Chronological Study Bible, and the Archaeological Study Bible. Because she wants depth, and she can't even decide what depth she wants. She wants depth. And then on top of that stack of books is this, like, really thin, probably 75-page, 99-cent pocket guide to the entire Bible. I was like, this is the picture of the millennial generation. You want depth, but you also want it in sound bites. And you can't decide which way you want it. They want depth in 140 characters or less. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's an- another one we see. Um, so a- another thing that we see is um, incredible brokenness and confusion, but also incredible authenticity and potential. This generation has had pornography at their fingertips from the moment they were born. They didn't have to hide it under, under their beds. Like, it, it's right there. Um, the gender confusion, the sexual confusion, identity confusion, they've been bombarded with way more stuff than any generation before them. And yet at the same time, they are willing more than any other generation before to be known for who they w- really are. And they have incredible potential. And what I find most hopeful about the millennial generation is that my generation and earlier... The brokenness in our life we saw as an obstacle that we had to overcome in order to minister and be effective and be influential. The millennial generation says, no, that's actually going to become my platform out of my woundedness, out of my struggle, out of my confusion, out of my brokenness. I am going to minister. We ministered in spite. I mean, we ministered in spite of our brokenness. They're ministering out of it. And because of that, I think they're going to be able to make connections in a much deeper way. Uh, another paradox, they're the most connected, and they're also the most lonely. There have been numerous studies about this, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into those right now. Um, but that's a paradox they live in, instant connection at their fingertips, 5,000 friends on Facebook. But who's going to come visit them when they're in the hospital? They're feeling that tension. Uh, another paradox that I see uh, that um, actually isn't on here, but... Um, I was talking to Jody about this yesterday. Jody works on my team with me. And uh, another paradox is that this generation is one that values authenticity. But they also have very carefully curated images on social media. And that's just interesting to me, um, that that's another paradox that they, um, they walk in, that some of them will pursue certain experiences just so they can post about them. Um, all right, so let's talk about practically. So that's a little bit of, of that generation, some, some, uh, some, some observations I've made, some things I've experienced in, in working with them, being friends with them, doing life with them. And again, we'll have some millennials that can come up and give their own perspective and, and tell you where I'm wrong uh, in a little bit. 
let's let's shift the conversation a little bit to practically how do we do this? What are practical ways to make disciples of the millennial generation? The first thing I would encourage you to do is bring them into your living room. And this is a little bit, I mean this literally and also metaphorically, but it's about letting them do life with you as you live it. Um, that's what Jesus did anyway. Jesus hung out at synagogues, but he most often hung out at wells where the people actually were in the midst of their everyday walking around life. This is the environment in which you can best disciple millennials, invite them into your life. Um, again, they need to know the practical life skills. Um, but it's also, I think, more organic to disciple when it's just in the midst of real life. Uh, I rarely uh, go on errands by myself. Somehow I have tricked millennials into thinking that going to Target is like a fun thing, even though sometimes the conversations there are, you know, this stuff comes from child labor, and like I, we have a whole justice conversation about it. But inviting them into my real life gives me time to talk about anything and everything without agenda. Um, I have tricked millennials. I don't ever travel by myself, uh, ever. Um, when I'm on the road, and a lot of times my husband Ryan, who's right here, um, he's awesome. Uh, Ryan's with me, but also we, we have millennials on the road with us. And again, it's because we have long periods of time that we can talk about you know life and, and reflect on things like this together. Um, and then they can also see what our character looks like and how we react when the plane lands in Nashville and we realize that we forgot to leave with our parents the keys to the house and the car and they're there with our 17-month-old daughter. Like, they're able to see the real-life stuff that, you know, we walk in. So bring them into your living room. Uh, Secondly, bring them into the conversation. Millennials want this to be a two-way thing. I promise you, they want to learn from you. They really, really do. But the added benefit is that we get to learn from them. This isn't about curriculum. It's not about teaching a lesson. It's about entering into a conversation. It's about asking the hard questions. I do a lot more asking questions than giving answers. Um, Because what I want to do is ask the question that unlocks in them the answer. Because when they come to the conclusion themselves, they're going to have a deeper conviction about it than if I tell them what to do. Now, there, are, there will come moments where they will ask me, Heather, what do you think? And that's when I know I have an opportunity to speak truth that maybe they wouldn't think of on their own. Uh, I would encourage you, take the lane that you've been given. A lot of times the first lane that you get with a millennial is they want to coach, they want to mentor, they want you to help them understand something about their job, something about leadership, something about life, marriage, parenting. Just take that lane. And then as you continue to invest there, other lanes will open up for you. Uh, one of the millennials that I um, that is in, in my life, um, Emily, was on another church staff, and she was kind of um, working her. She she'd worked into a leadership role, and she she needed a woman who was in a leadership role at a church just to do some mentoring. Um, so that was the lane that opened up for me. It was leading in a church setting as as a woman. But because of those conversations, other lanes opened up. And I got to talk about how do you hear the voice of God? What do you think about the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, what does it look like for you to exercise patience and self-control in the situations that you're in? So, so take the lane of communication that is open to you and then, um, and then capitalize on that. I would say don't fear their doubts. Uh, don't fear their questions. 
validate their questions. Don't feel like you have to know all the answers. They will respect you a lot more if you say, I don't know. Or if you say, let's figure it out together. Um, so yeah, bring them into the conversation. Next, uh, connect them to mentors. Uh, millennials, the, the word mentor is kind of a, it's, it's one of those words that everybody uses and nobody knows what it means. I have so many like millennials that will sit with me and say, I want a mentor. And I'll ask them, well, can you tell me what kind of mentor you want or what you want to be mentored in? And they don't know. They just know they need one. And, uh, and I believe that instead they're, they're looking for the Yoda, you know, the, the one all wise, all knowing, ever present um, with all of the power of the force, but what they really need are a board of directors. And so if you could help connect them to those people. Um, and so I know, uh, for instance, Jody, like I, I am not Yoda to Jody. There's maybe one or two things, maybe, that I can be influential with Jody with, but she also needs a Joshua Simonette who's going to talk to her about leadership and team building and coaching. She needs a, a Heidi that can talk to her about prayer and, and hearing the voice of God and the Holy Spirit. So I view one of my roles as helping to connect millennials with a board of directors, with people that are, are at my stage of life that are gifted in other areas that can also speak into them. Um, so help them uh, find mentors. Connect the dots. This is a big one. If you're a few steps ahead, then you've got perspective that they don't have. Let them stand on your shoulders and let them borrow your faith. They, the problem that we, this is, and this isn't just a millennial thing, this is an all of us thing. We overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and greatly underestimate what we can accomplish in 10. If we can help them have perspective and not try to be in such a hurry to get places so fast, if we can share our life experiences with them. Um, I, one thing I always try to tell millennials is like, look, um, God has ordained your days and he has given you all the time you need to accomplish everything that he has ordained for you to do. So you can just take a deep breath and relax a little bit. You don't have to level up so quickly. It's all right. Um, share with them your faith. Share with them uh, perspective. This is, a, this is a story that millennials actually hate hearing me tell. Um, how many of you know how a, a, a carrot reproduces? Anybody? Like, where are the carrot seeds? Okay, so, so if you, we can go to the, you know, the Home Depot or, or wherever and buy carrot seeds in the little packet, right? And we can, um, we can put them in the ground. And at the end of that season, we can harvest the carrot. We can pull up the carrot, right? Carrot comes up out of the ground. We can eat it. It's great. But if you want a reproducible carrot, you have to leave that carrot underground at the end of that harvest season let it overwinter and the next season the, the flowering stalk comes up with seeds to reproduce so what i tell millennials when they feel like they aren't picked when they think they're ready to be picked is look you're a good carrot right now there's nothing wrong with you <laughs> you are a great carrot if you got picked right now you would do your job and do it well but maybe God wants you to be a reproducing carrot, so you need to stay in the ground. I know it's cold. I know it's dark. And I know you think you should be out on the, in the light for everybody to see on display. Everybody can say, oh, look at that beautiful carrot, that amazing carrot. Maybe God wants to do something deeper in your life so you can reproduce. Millennials hate it when I tell that story, but I'm convinced it needs to be a children's book because I want my daughter to get that message. 
Anyway, but that's perspective. That's connecting the dots. That's giving them a long view. You don't have to level up so fast. Um, next, um, elevate relationship over religion. I think we get so scared. Like, we are so um, focused on, we, we want to make sure that they have the right understanding of social issues. We want to make sure that they have the right behavior. We're wanting to change their worldview on, on politics and on social issues. And, and I'm thinking, let's just focus on Jesus. And all that other stuff will take care of itself. We're so nervous about what will happen to our nation and the next generation if we don't correct their viewpoints on things. But just elevate Jesus. Help them to run after Jesus. They've got to realize that Jesus didn't come to give us rules to live by, but a calling to live for. That Jesus didn't die on a cross just to save us from something, but save us to something. Invite them into that adventure of that relationship of running after Jesus. I have a leader. This is a leader, and um, I wasn't planning to talk about this. And the last time I did, I broke down crying, so hopefully this won't happen again. Leader came to me a couple weeks ago, and this is a guy I, I love dearly. And uh, he's led groups with me. He's been on missions trips. Um, and he said, Heather, I've, I've been fighting my, my orientation my entire life. Nobody knows. I've, I've for years given prayer requests in, in groups about um, my, my hookups with women, but it wasn't women. He said, I just need to embrace who I am. I want to embrace who God's created me to be. I can't fight this anymore. I know this means that because of, of what we believe as a church, I'll, I'll no longer be able to be a leader. And that's really, really hard for me because I, I love that. About I've seen the life change that's happened when I've discipled people. And, and I, I don't want to give that up, but I, I know I have to. But I still want to be a part of, of this church. And, and so can you just help me understand what that means for me here? And... Um, there was a there was a there was a temptation in that moment for me to try to correct everything he was thinking about his sexuality, everything he was thinking about his doctrine. But I, but I felt like the spirit was just saying, you know what? He knows what your doctrine is. He he's already he's already acknowledged that he knows what the doctrine is. What he needs to be reminded of is what it looks like to run after Jesus. And so I just I turned that conversation a little bit to you know I, I, what does this look like to go after Jesus right now? What does this look like to follow Jesus? And look, guys, there is all kinds of stuff about doctrine that needs to be corrected. There's all kinds of continuing conversations that need to happen. But I just felt like in that moment, I need to keep Jesus front and center. Just go hard after Jesus. Keep running after Jesus. So elevate that relationship over religion. Give them something to live for. Um, Now, we do a couple of... of, uh, environments at National Community Church to help people that walk in things about doctrine and theology. And I do a group called Theology 101 every year. But one thing that I try to do in that group is not tell them what to think, but help them figure out how to think theologically. Because again, I don't want their faith to be something that they just heard from me and said, okay, I, I believe that, but something that they have learned how to wrestle with the scriptures and learned how to um, understand the character of God and how that applies to the things of life. We do something called the story that helps. This is a connect the dots thing where in three weeks we give people the overarching chronological story of the Bible so they understand how the the, the, the prophets fit into the kings and the epistles fit into the, the missionary journeys of Acts. Um, but we want to bring them into conversation to discover the stuff for themselves. Um, 
Now, very quickly, for those of you that are in church leadership and you have millennials on your staff and you have the opportunity to disciple and influence in that environment, uh, I want to encourage you specifically with three things. Number one, be courageous enough to put millennials on the platform. And a lot of us are courageous enough to put millennials on the platform in a worship leader context because that's kind of what they're supposed to do. And they have the skinny jeans so they can do it. Um, But I would encourage you to put them on the platform in other roles. To pray. To preach. Um, We had uh, Emily, uh, one of the millennials, again, I've already mentioned her. um, She... uh, we were giving an opportunity at, at NCC uh, uh, back in May for some other voices beyond our teaching team to have a preaching Sunday. And uh, Emily's name was mentioned. And one of the concerns that was raised was, well, she's just so young. She's 28. She's like, she's so young. Like, is that, do we do that? And I responded, and, and it's funny because I've, I've been the one telling Emily to keep her carrot in the ground, you know. Um, but I actually, in this moment, felt like I needed to say something different. I said, you know what? I think it is her age that makes it the reason we should put her on the platform. She's going to have a voice, even to her generation, that I don't have right now. Now, she doesn't need to be there every weekend. She doesn't have that many things to say right now. <laughs> but I was like, we need to risk putting some millennials on the platform. Secondly, we need to bring the millennials to the table. We need to bring them to decision-making roles. Um, and, and in some cases, it's appropriate for them to be like making the decisions themselves. But sometimes they just need to watch us make the decisions. Millennials are, I mean, they're going to be the ones that are leading the church in 10 to 20 years. Have they seen how we make decisions? It's the how. It's the posture, the humility. How do we argue well? How do we pray through a situation? How do we prioritize? consider bringing millennials into your highest level conversations, maybe not to participate, but just observe. And then thirdly, think about your pipelines. One of the things we're struggling with at National Community Church right now is that our executive leadership team, we're all in our 40s. At most churches, we would just now be stepping into our prime. Like we're just now getting opportunities to do, you know, our our gifts and our calling. And and, um, we would be the, the, the cool young punks. But at NCC, we're either old people. And we've got 20-somethings that are realizing you're in the seat that I want, but but you're never moving. You're going to be 70 years old and, and still be in that seat. And they're wanting to lead and they're wanting to make decisions and they're wanting to communicate. And yes, some of it is coming out of a, I need to level up because I've already mastered these skills and I'm bored. But some of it is really coming from a good place. And so what are your pipelines? Are there places where, for lack of a better word, millennials can level up? They can take on a little bit more authority. They can take on a little bit more leadership. Because when those situations happen, it gives us opportunities to disciple. Okay, you're stepping into a new role. Let's talk about the character that you need in this role, um, what you need to be doing spiritually for this role, um, how you navigate this new role that you're in. Um, All right, so a couple more things quickly, and then I'm going to bring some millennials up. Um, Topics that I think are particularly helpful for millennials. And, and I mentioned these to, uh, to I don't remember if it was Ryan or, or somebody the other day, and they were like, well, those are just topics for every generation. But And it's true. But I think millennials, at least in my experience, the ones I'm working with, these are the ones that I keep coming back to over and over again. One, their character. Character, 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 character. You need to develop the character to sustain the calling that God has placed on your life. 
The last place you want to be right now is a place that your influence has taken you, but your character can't sustain. And it's a whole lot easier and better to fail when no one's watching you than when everyone's watching you. I mean, I told Emily for years, look, I don't want you speaking to hundreds and thousands of people right now. Because it's a lot better to say something stupid when you're talking to 20 people than when you're talking to thousands. So the character to sustain the calling. Number two, the character of God. I think that we, you know, we spend so much time trying to make sure that we're answering every single felt need that somebody has. When if we would just elevate the character of God, we realize that he's enough to, to meet every felt need that there is. Um, help. One thing I, I learned from Dave is anytime he sees an attribute, a name, a characteristic of God in the Bible, he highlights it. I do that now, and I, I'm teaching millennials to do that. I want the character of God to come screaming off the pages of Scripture. Um, the third thing that I think they really need to learn is about hearing the voice of God. We, we just haven't taught that. Um, we ha- and so we actually, in our discipleship journey group this year, you know, we, we took an entire day where we just, we didn't talk about the lesson. We just went off and did it. We, we practiced listening to God on behalf of one another. Now, that's messy. It's tricky. And sometimes there's zeal that comes out that you're like, I'm not sure if you heard God or you heard the pizza that you had the night before. But we need to teach them how to hear God's voice. God wants to speak to them. And we've got to trust that they have the ability to hear their father speak. So hearing the voice of God. Um, Sabbath. We've got to teach and model rhythm and rest for millennials. The world will not spin off its axis if you disconnect for 24 hours. You're not in charge of everything. Sabbath, rest. Otherwise, they're going to burn out very quickly. Um, and then another one that I, I think is really important that I talk about a lot is, um, is seasons of leadership and seasons of life. So uh, Robert Coleman's uh, Making of a Leader, I, I refer back to a lot with, uh, with young leaders to just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Coleman, yeah. There's so many important Robert C's. Thank you. Um, Bobby Clinton's Making of a Leader. There's so many important seasons in life, and you don't want to rush through one. Um, you don't want to ignore one. I think one of the things I, I tell the leaders all the time is if you try to take shortcuts in God's calling on your life, you'll short circuit the work he wants to do in you. And so um, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with, with Bobby Clinton's making a leader, um, pick that up. Um, very practically, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to do before I, so millennials get ready. Um, how I do it. Right now, I do a, uh, I use Discipleship Journey, which is a tool uh, that we've created at LionShare. I say we, it's Dave, but, you know, that's another thing. When you can help millennials feel like they're a part of the corporate story, like they're a part of the story even if they weren't there, that's really, really important because those big narratives are important to them. Um, but Discipleship Journey is at the LionShare table. It's a one-year, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what word to put on it. Yeah, it's, it's not really a curriculum. It's not a workbook. It's a guide. It's a, it's a, a place to jumpstart a conversation. So I use this with millennials. Um, I used it with some young millennial uh, communicators, and then I used it with uh, some millennials in the marketplace. Last year I used it with our millennial worship leaders at NCC, and right now I'm using it with our young staff. Um, and, uh, so I, this is one thing I do. I, every other Tuesday morning, I'm having coffee and talking about topics from discipleship journey with millennials. Uh, another thing that Ryan and I do is every week we have family dinner and family dinner is, I, I don't know, a dozen, mostly millennials that sit around our table and eat our food and, uh, and they get to, they get to do life with us. We seasonally have people live with us. 
We have someone living with us right now just for a couple months. Um, we've had a numerous couples live with us before they get married because they'll be in a situation where, well, we're going to move into his apartment, but I need to let go of my lease right now, so I need a place for about a month or two. We've discovered that's the best premarital counseling they can get. Because I can sit across a table from them and tell them how to communicate, how, how to talk about finances, how to deal with finances, how to make decisions. Or they can just come sit in our living room and watch us do it. Um, and so we'll have people seasonally live with us. My front porch, I am convinced, the Spirit spoke this to me a couple of years ago. And, and it was in a season when I was speaking at a lot of conferences and I was speaking at big conferences and I was speaking to lots of people. And the Spirit spoke to me and said, and I was, it was a night that, it was like a Friday night, I'm sitting on the front porch and there's a millennial sitting in the other rocking chair. And I heard the Spirit speak to me and said, this is the most important platform you have been on this entire season. My front porch is the most important platform I have. And if there's anything I'm saying on a platform that I am not living out on the front porch, it makes me a hypocrite. And so my front porch conversations, and I mean, whatever environment you're, you know, finding millennials in the gym and the coffee house and the library and the workplace, like that everyday life place, those conversations I have. There, there are times that um, millennials will want to make an appointment with me um, in my office and I'll just tell them, hey, why don't you just come to my front porch Sunday night? Now, certain conversations need to happen in the office. They need that kind of formal environment. But some of them just need to happen in the course of, of real life. Um, I, I've already mentioned Aaron's field trips. Um, two questions I ask all the time. Number one, God, who are you calling me to? Who are you calling me to in this season? One thing that does is it does give me permission to say no or not right now to millennials when they're asking me, will you mentor me? I need to know who God has asked me to prioritize during different seasons of my life. The second question I'm constantly asking, and I ask this about once a year, what can I give away? Is there something in my portfolio that I can trust a millennial to do? No, they're not going to do it as well as I can right now. They're going to do it about 70% as well. Yes, they're going to make mistakes that I'm going to have to own and I'm going to have to take the blame for. But see, sometimes I say, can they do it as well as me? And I say, no, it's only about 70%. And they actually do it better than me. So what can I give away to a millennial to let them step up and lead at a higher level to level up? You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.